Hey, good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, whenever you watch my Pat Coast. How is uh, all my mental health warriors doing out there this week? I uh, hope everybody had a great weekend. Uh, my weekend was uh, pretty good. Everything went uh, went as planned, as good as it can go as planned. Um, you know, as you guys know that uh, my wife, she's currently stationed in Rhode Island, so I'm here with the boys alone. So I get to play mom and dad and and everything else. And so at times it's a struggle as any parent who have kids and who's alone understands that. Uh, so sometimes it can be challenging uh, for my seven-year-old. He's he's pretty okay during the day, but at night, he, that's when he misses mom the most. So that's usually the hardest time for us. Uh, so uh, real quick, I just want to say that uh, thank you for watching my last podcast, but my second one, uh, this will be my third one. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor my podcast, please reach out to me. My email will be shown at the bottom of the screen. It'd be more great to have you on board. Uh, I really enjoy doing it. I think we can really bring uh, forth uh, some really great ideas to help people with their mental health and can some of the things that I do in my life to kind of help me deal with the things that go on in my PTSD and TBI and other things that I acquired with 34 years in the military. And I think together we can help reduce the stigma associated with asking for help. And, you know, that's the hardest thing to do and it's the easiest thing to do, right? So, you know, I say this all the time when I do my speaking events is, you know, for me, you know, when I was at my brother's house, and if you watch my first podcast, you know, I talk about events leading up to my suicide attempt in my uh, childhood growing up. And so, you know, as I taking you guys on that journey, um, you know, we, you start to look at and see that at any given point in time, I could have picked the phone up and, and asked for help. And I just didn't do it. And so my goal and my hope is with this podcast and being a mental health warrior that I am now, that if you're a person and you're in that bad place, you're having a bad week or things are just piling on you, uh, that you won't be like Cliff Bauman, that you'll be stronger than I was at that time and pick up that telephone and call a friend or, or call somebody that, that's, that really wants to help you and they really want you here. You know, I, I say this all the time, you know, I understand what it's like, you know, not to want to see the sunlight or not to want to see the dark or the moon or anything, just don't want to deal with it no more. And I, I get that. I've been there and I, I totally understand it. But also, you know, as I went through my path and my story that I'm telling, I'll, I'll tell part three tonight, I realized that, you know, it can be so much better once you get that help and, and feel that big weight being lifted off your chest. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just a great feeling. And, you know, I don't want to say that every day that, that I have is great days. I still have bad days and good days. You know, talking about, you know, not necessarily the best experiences in my life. It does weigh on me sometime and I get mentally wore down and tired. Uh, but I know myself well enough that I know when I need to take a break or step back and and say, OK, I just need to take a breather right now. Um, and that's OK. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, I do a lot of speaking events and 
uh, August, September, October. Uh, and, you know, for me, I normally take the whole month of November off, uh, just kind of let myself reset and relax and, and just kind of rewind and, and kind of recharge my batteries. And I think that's something important that, that we need to understand. And especially as men, right? Because we're all oh, going home. Nothing's going to hurt me. Nothing's going to bother me. And you just got to realize that, you know, sometimes it's okay to take that moment or, or take that break or, you know, I say this all the time is you need to find something or time or place or space where you can just kind of unwind and decompress and, and take things down a notch or two. You know, it's, it's interesting. I had to water. You know, it, you know, it's, it's, so anybody that's ever deployed, uh, you, you guys will understand this. So I, I remember when I was coming out of Iraq and we were redeploying our aircraft through Kuwait. Um, in about 60 days, you know, get them on the ship and, and, and all that and, and getting ready to go back to the States. And I was picking up the air crew in a bus. And I'd shuttle them, you know, from the from the airport, you know, either to the barracks or down to the port. And, you know, one thing I realized is the longer I was in Kuwait, of course, I had time to kind of decompress. And my my, you know, I just wasn't so ramped up all the time. Right. That was starting to come down. And what I saw with the air crews and the crewmen and everybody coming back out of Iraq, they were that ramped up. You know, they were like this. And I had already gone down to here because I've you know, been doing it for 30 days by that time. And it really made me realize that, you know, you can get ramped up very quickly and not even realize it. And you, that can happen in real life. You don't have to be at, at war. I mean, you could be at work and, you know, work's really busy now. You got a lot of people out or a lot of people quitting or you know, the vaccine mandate got a lot of people to, you know, quit their jobs and maybe shorthanded, um, you know, things may be going bad at home or, you know, just like I went through, I talked about on December 20th, my son breaking his arm, then all of us getting sick and still having to go to his surgery and things. And, and so it's my goal with this podcast that when all that stuff just piles on you, you'll think for a moment and said, you know what, I learned something from Cliff Bauman on the mental health warrior that, you know, it's okay to, to feel overwhelmed at time. It's okay to, to feel like everything's crashing down around you. And it's okay to to, to step back and reassess what's going on and, 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 you know, try to make adjustments to make things better. I'm not going to say it's always going to be easy, but I think it's something that you have to work on. You know, it's one thing with PTSD. When you get all that stress and you're not sleeping good at night and things aren't going the way you think they should go. You know, PTSD is kind of like that little assassin in the background, right? Because it's in your mind. And it's just sitting there kind of laying low and just kind of hiding out behind a tree or whatever. And it's just waiting for that moment. And that moment comes, just, you know, pat, can jump right on you. And, you know, that's one thing about, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome. It's it's in your mind. It's in your brain. It's 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 entrenched in there. And so you have to learn how to deal with those triggers and things when they, when they pop up. And they'll pop up at good times, right? I, I've never had it pop up at good times. It happened at, at, at maybe low times in my life or when things weren't going as, as well as I thought they should be. And, and next thing you know, you know, the, the dreams start creeping in or, you know, I start thinking about uh, October 3rd, the boat rescue. And I'll, I'll, I'll spend one podcast talking specifically about that. And that may be my next one. Uh, in 2009, when I uh, jumped in the Chesapeake Bay and saved three out of four fishermen after a, a boating accident, a barge hit a small vessel. And I'll go in great detail about that. Um, but, you know, it never, never pops in at, at good times. And so what, you, what I had to learn to do is that when I get stressful and, I, and those dreams pop back in, right? So now, 
you know, last night I, I wasn't having a good night last night. I was up late and, um, you know, thinking about stuff and, 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 you know, I was downstairs in my basement and I just got my new theater system hooked up and I was listening to music and watching a movie and stuff. And, and I just had to kind of reset my mind frame. And that's why I went down there to do that. Uh, because the theater is something that I saved for, for two years and, and very proud about it. And finally got all the pieces in from being back ordered and stuff. And, and so I just really went downstairs and, and kind of sat in there and kind of just enjoyed, you know, something that I had worked hard for. Before that, I was upstairs uh, in another room, just sitting in the dark, having a drink. And, and so when I started having those thoughts, right, we've all been there, right? The, everybody goes to bed in the house and it's quiet. And, you know, you're thinking about stuff that went on that day and, and probably not the good stuff that went on that day. And I, I just started kind of eking my way down that trail. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going I'm to go downstairs and, and, and play in the basement, play the new uh, theater system. And, you know, I text some some friends, uh, you know, Veterans Trash Talk and, and others and just kind of reset my mind frame and, and think about things a little bit different. And I think, you know, that's the hardest thing for me to learn to do was just doing that little technique as once I start going down that road of thinking of all the negative things is stop it. And turn around and start thinking about something positive. You know, in the military and master resiliency training, they teach us, you know, they, this gets laughed at all the time. Hunt the good stuff, right? And they're like, oh, what's hunt the good stuff? Well, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, they teach you that right before you go to bed. Think about three good things that happened to you that day. I don't care how shitty your day was or how effed up it was. I guarantee you three good things happened. And the science behind that is it just kind of sets your mind into a more positive mindset before you go to sleep. Well, for me, I don't know when I'm going to sleep, right? So I think about hunt the good stuff all the time. And so just like yesterday when I was sitting in that dark room and, and was kind of having those not so good thoughts and, and just kind of reflecting on the podcast that I have on Monday with Lynn on, you know, throat, throat pump Mondays and how we're going to do that show. And then, of course, my podcast the next day. And just thinking about all the things that I want to talk about and not talk about. And then I start thinking about 9-11 and the boat rescue and all those things started happening. And it just started taking me down a road at that point. I didn't want to go down. Uh, so, you know, I pulled out, I, I hunted the good stuff and I went downstairs and enjoyed my theater room. And it could be something as simple as that. Just something to kind of tweak your mindset. So you don't always thinking about the negative of the day and think a little bit about the positive. Uh, you know, and before I get into part three of my story. I just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit and, and the importance of, you know, if, if you're having a bad day that that's going on, you know, just try to think about something good and, and try to maybe re rethink your thinking, you know, there for a long time, I would write my stuff down. I don't, I don't write it down so much anymore. Uh, I just use it in thoughts in my head, but if you don't, if you can't do that, you can always write it down. And I know when I wrote it down, I would often go back and we look, uh, you know, at the things that brought me joy and happiness. Uh, you know, we all have cell phones, you know, right nowadays. And, you know, I got a picture of my son. You saw it right there. Uh, and you'll see it. We'll have a bigger picture up on the screen here. He was two years old, about three years old. We were at my sister's farm in Missouri. And she just had this, this, this bush that had a bunch of flowers on it. And the butterflies were just swarming the flowers, right? And my young son, Lloyd, had never seen that before. And so he actually put his finger on the flower. 
and the butterfly actually landed on his finger and he was just, you know, he was just, you know, the innocence of a child enjoying nature for the first time and really having that connection that he never had before is amazing. And you see it in the picture and then the butterfly flies away. And when I took the picture, I didn't realize and I caught the butterfly going across his face and it's just an absolute beautiful. And you know, when I'm having a bad day or just thinking about that, I, I pull pictures up on my phone and look at it. We took those pictures for a reason. And that's something real easy and right at your source that you can, you know, pick up your phone and and flip through some of those those pictures you have of of your buddies, of your friends, of you know, fishing trips, hunting trips. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I went hunting at my buddy's place, and I talked about this before, but uh, everybody who watched the Squid Games, I bought the outfit for one of the the, the guards for the Squid Games, and I'll show sort of the picture. And I was up in a deer stand wearing an outfit for the Squid Games. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was effing crazy. I had the orange on, the other hunters could see me very clearly. Uh, but you know, you gotta have fun in life, right? And laugh a little bit. You know, that's the whole whole business with veterans trash talk on Saturdays, right? They the guys get together and they laugh and joke and and tell stories. You know, so it's all good. So if you watch my last podcast, you know, I talked about, you know, I was in the hospital waking up, and you know, as well as I do that, um, if you attempt suicide. Uh, you have to go and stay in a, a state-run mental ward to go somewhere safe where you can be evaluated with a, a psychiatrist or, or psychologist, uh, therapist, or somebody to make sure you're not going to hurt yourself. And over those 72 hours, you know, they're doing a lot of evaluations. They're talking to you, trying to figure out what happened. You know, why did you do it? What's going on? They're calling my doctor back, my psychologist back in Virginia, which he was absolutely shocked that I attempted suicide. But remember, I talked about that early on. I lied to him, right? He had no idea how bad I was because I was very good at lying to him, which I know now was the wrong thing to do. Um, and so, you know, as you're going through those evaluations, you know, one thing that I realized when I stepped out of that ambulance from the from the emergency room at Truman Medical Center, and it was only like two blocks away, but you had to ride an ambulance over there. And that ride cost me eight hundred dollars in two thousand two. I remember that. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> Two blocks, 800 bucks. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, you know, I, and, and oh, by the way, you know why it cost 200 bucks or $800? Because I kept it out of the TRICARE system because I didn't want my command to know about it. Right. So, so I knew somebody's going to ask that question. They're watching this podcast. They're like, well, why did he pay $800? TRICARE should have paid for it. Well, I did something that a lot of soldiers do, sailors, airmen, or whatever, when they're having issues or problems, they go outside the, the system which is the wrong thing to do uh, to get care because you don't want nobody to know what's going on. Now, mind you, in 2002, you know, and I talked about this before, things were a little bit different in the military. You know, back then, you know, if you were having mental health issues, they put you on 60-day medical orders, you were evaluated, and then you were you were pretty much released from active duty or you were put in a medical hold and then medically boarded out of the service. Uh, of course, I had commanders, and I talk about this, that supported me getting help and was really part of my healing process. So I, I, I told them I didn't have insurance. And so I paid for everything. I paid for my stay at Truman. I paid for my stay at the three days at the mental health ward. I paid for all that, uh, you know, and obviously on down the road, my command found out about it, uh, my suicide attempt. Uh, and that changed a lot of things. But that was after I actually got back into Virginia. And so, you know, I leave the hospital. I'm in the ambulance and I'm driving over to the medical facility there. And I don't remember what floor it was on. But you're on the gurney, you're naked with, with the gown on, and you go in there. And, and I remember that 
as soon as you walk through that door, it's just like going to prison, right? All the locks locked. You know, you get a band on, you got people by the front desk because you're not getting out of there. You're not leaving there at all. You have no rights, no nothing. You, you're not leaving until they're done knowing that you're not going to hurt yourself at all. And, and so it's at the time that I'm in there and I'm still kind of the first night kind of groggy and, and foggy from all the medication, uh, the sleeping pills that I took, the medication they gave me to counteract it, uh, the charcoal that they made me drink to make me throw up to see if there's any pills still left in my stomach that I could expel. And so I was kind of recovering from that. And so I, I got my mat. They gave me a mat. And I went into this dark room and I laid down on the corner. I had no sheets, no blankets, no nothing, just just mat. And I laid down on the mat in the corner and, and tried to get some sleep. Well, you're in there with a, a bunch of other people who have a lot of other mental health issues. Uh, you had people in there that were schizophrenic. You had people in there that were drug addicts. You had all, we all, the only thing we had all in common is that we all had attempted suicide, right? But there were some people in there that were completely out of their mind. I don't mean that in a bad way. It just whatever they were on, and I, I don't know what they were on because we didn't really talk to each other. Uh, we just kind of kept their own space. But then you had the people who had clearly had some mental health issues outside of drugs and other things. Why they, I mean, they were talking to the wall or they were, you know, shuffling around or you know, some of them had multiple suicide attempts. I mean, there was, there was this one girl in there and I, I kind of talked to her a little bit. Um, she had attempted several times and she was, uh, you know, it was a drug addict, it was on meth and, and some other things. And, and she had a very traumatic life and, and growing up as a child and that kind of led to her where she was at her point in her life. And I tell you what, for three days, I was scared shitless. You know, I, I, I how could I sleep? I didn't know if these people going to, you know, try to, to, to hurt me or what went on you know you just you were on edge uh, the whole time I was in there and uh, you know the food was and yeah, I don't even I don't even know if I even ate I don't even remember to tell you the truth uh, I'm sure I did eat but I, I I don't remember I remember they're trying to give me medication and I kept refusing the medication uh, because I I don't know what led to my suicide attempt I know what got me to that point um, but once I started looking at everything and kind of reanalyzing all this stuff um, I was just scared to take anything, right? It just scared me because, you know, I just tried to attempt my life taking a bunch of sleeping pills and now you want to give me more pills and I just didn't like, I didn't like that. And, and so I refused taking them uh, and I wouldn't take them. And so it's, it's why I'm there and I'm talking to that psychologist. She was a very extremely nice lady. I, I don't remember her name, uh, but she was very kind hearted and you could tell she was generally concerned about what I did and what I attempted and what I'd been through with 9-11 and, and everything. And, and she had long conversations with my psychologist back in Virginia. And, you know, you, you go through that process and it's, you know, several times a day, you'll talk to the, to the doctor or one of their licensed clinical social workers or whatever. And it's, it's, you know, when you're getting ready to be released. And, and I remember as, as I got my clothes back, Right. So I didn't have um, for four days now because, you know, I spent the one day in the hospital emergency room recovering and then three days there. And I put my clothes on and and, you know, I walked through that door that was locked. Right. You couldn't get through it before. And I was like, I, I don't ever want to go back there. I, I, I don't ever want to do that again, ever. 
that was probably one of the worst experiences in, in my life, right? And I don't, I, I, no way, but I'm not, uh uh-uh, no, I'm not going to do it. And so, you know, as I leave the hospital, I walk out of that room, my brother comes and picks me up. And of course, you know, all my family's around me and they're very concerned. And we didn't really talk about it a lot. You know, we didn't talk about my attempt or whatever. I think they had a lot of guilt and not seeing signs, but they shouldn't feel guilty about that because I really didn't give the traditional signs. And that's one of the things that a lot of psychologists, psychiatrists I've talked to in years since then uh, really wanted to dive in the fact that I just I just didn't give all those signs and symptoms that somebody normally would give who is suicidal. Uh, you know, and there's a very small group of people that are like that. I mean, uh, you know, I, whatever happened that night, December 20th, and they call it a coupling effect. Uh, all of those things come together. And I don't, I can't say that one thing led to the other thing. It just happened. And all those things came together at once. Uh, you know, and I just didn't want to deal with the pressure and everything living again. And so as I'm leaving the hospital and, and man, you feel the warmth of the sun on your face again and all that. And I'm at my, my family's my brother, back at my brother's house. Uh, sit in the same living room that, you know, just four days prior to I was unconscious uh, that he found me on. And, you know, I got cleared there. And then I had to drive a couple of days later, 16 hours back to Virginia uh, by myself. And it's when I'm taking that drive back that I really start reflecting on everything, right? Because you're on the road for a long ways. I'm driving into the sun. It's 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 a nice, easy drive going over. You know, I just you know, I just go right across I-70 and then over to 64 in St. Louis and shoot straight across all the way to Virginia. And it's it's during that time frame when I really start thinking about 9-11, thinking about the guilt that I had, and just kind of really thinking about going to my therapist and, and putting my career before myself and and all those things I did wrong. And so it's during that drive that I really decided that I wasn't going to do that again, that Cliff Bauman's health and mental health was going to be number one. And whatever happened with my military career happened with it. Because I knew I knew one thing. I did not want to go back to that mental ward again. I did not want to do that. And people always say there was that one moment that really defined them getting better in their mental health struggles or when you kind of hit rock bottom. And for me, it was spending three days in that they state run mental health ward. And I did not, I was going to do everything in my power not to go back there again. And so as I'm driving back to Virginia, I'm reflecting on all that. And I get back to Virginia. And, and of course, I make an appointment going to see my psychologist and, and kind of sit down. And of course, he was a little frustrated with me, right? He's like, what the fuck, man? You know, what the hell are you doing? I mean, he was blunt, right? <laughs> you know, and I and I looked at him and I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, uh, I, I've been lying to you. You know, he probably had a hard time maybe trusting clients after that. I don't know. Uh, you know, but I shed a, a tear or two and and, and just told him, brother, I, I fucked up. I'm sorry. I, I should have been honest with you about it. And I wasn't. I was I was scared for my military career, but I, I don't ever want to go back there again. And so we had a really good session and a couple of sessions after that were really good. And then, you know, when I go into work, of course, everybody's concerned because, you know, they all cared for me and they all were thought I was getting better. And then all of a sudden they find out I, I attempted suicide and that kind of, you know, kind of eat this way through work. You know, and as I as I started my recovery step by step, right, because recovery just doesn't happen overnight. 
know, people hear me go out and I talk about it and I, I talk about things freely on the podcast. And when I do my speaking events, it, it, that didn't come overnight. I didn't publicly talk about my suicide attempt till 10 years after. And it was only until I went to master residency trainer school in 2012 at UPenn was the first time I talked about my suicide attempt to a group of people. Uh, so even as I was going through my recovery, I never really talked about it, um, you know, and, and until then. And it's kind of funny how things happen. People always ask me, how did you get into to speaking about, you know, mental health and, and things? And it kind of just fell into my lap. And so anybody who's ever gone to master's institute training school, they kind of get you kind of hyped up, right? They teach you all these techniques and how to deal with things, little self-inflection. And so, and I talked about this before is, you know, when I was at University of Penn, I was a, uh, a CW4 at that time or a three, I don't remember, CW3, I'm CW3 at the time. That's what happens to get old, right? You forget. <laughs> and and <laughs> I need to go back to making lists, I guess. And <laughs> and so, I, I you know, so I'm at, I'm at UPenn and, and I'm laughing and joking with the guys. We always went out at the bar at night, you know, because, hey, what else are you going to do, right? We're staying in a hotel. And literally, we're, we're there at a hotel and you go two blocks over. And that's where all the bars, where all the college kids hung out. But it was summertime, so not a lot of college kids were there. I mean, it was just a, the kids going to summer school and stuff. And, and, you know, some of the bars were always busy, but the, one bar always had trivia night. So me and a couple of guys would go in there and play trivia uh, and kind of beat the college kids at this Ivy League school. So it's kind of funny. You know, it was like the, the hillbillies or whatever our team was called. I don't remember. You know, in the mornings I would get up and I'd run down to the, to the you know, Philadelphia Library down there where they got the Rocky statue, you know, from the movie. Uh, kind of funny story. It's not on top of the stairs anymore because he got in a fight with the and the donor, donors or whatever it was. So they moved it down behind a bush at the bottom. So that, I mean, it, that, that's kind of funny. And you go see the Liberty Bell and all that. Uh, and so you know, for a couple of weeks, people really this is the person who they knew, right? The, the happy-go-lucky guy. And so Dr. Ravich, who's um, you know, he came up with the whole resiliency training process. So I was talking to her off the side because one of the instructors I had confided in the fact that I attempted suicide. And so she asked me, you know, if I would be willing, totally my decision to get up in front of the class and at the end and tell my story. And so I agreed to, and I tell you, what, I hardly slept that night because I was all nervous and, and scared. I wasn't a, I wasn't a public speaker. I mean, I could speak in front of people. And I was always a good storyteller. My third grade teacher would tell you that. Miss Gaines. When we had a show and tell at school, mine would go on for 15, 20 minutes. I could talk about a raccoon skin or whatever forever. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so I get up there and, and I, I I just talked about my experience in, in a suicide attempt and kind of went through the story like I had on this, this podcast. And when I got done, I had six soldiers come up to me. And uh, three of them had attempted suicide. There was, I think, two females and four males. I don't remember the exact ratio. Uh, and a couple of them, uh, of course, nobody in the unit knew about it, right? So like me, they went outside the network. Um, and so it was the feedback that I got from them and them really saying, wow, I, I, I would never thought that you went through something like this, but you seem like you're doing pretty okay now with it. And so it's when I finished that, um, you know, graduation UPenn, I went back to work. I was working at headquarters trade off that, at that time and in the G3. And so when I went back to work, they were having a meeting. And the G1 just so happened had been contacted by the VA because they're doing the Make the Connection campaign. And one of the guys there kind of heard my story coming out of UPenn. I have no idea how he found out about it. But the G1 guy came and asked me, 
hey, you might want to contact these people. It might be something you might want to be interested in doing. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I called them up and they, they were filming up in D.C. I was down at Fort Eustis at the time, which is about four hours you know, drive away, four and a half, give or take traffic. And, and so I decided to go up and make that video. And so the one thing I talk about, there's always good commanders out there and there's always bad commanders, right? And so do you think that my command supported me going up and making that video? Hmm? Nope. Nope. One guy was absolutely dead set against it. But I thought it was more important. So I took leave. Uh, I paid for my own way to go up there. Um, you know, so they couldn't say anything about it. That's I, I fuck them. You know, I've been there long enough. I you know, what, what the fuck are you do to me? Uh so uh, I took leave, um, went up to up there. I made the video for VMA. It was an absolutely amazing experience. It was kind of funny. I was there in the waiting room. There was a, a younger soldier who got injured. Uh, I, um, injured, and I don't know if it was Iraq or Afghanistan, but he was there with his wife, and he was going to talk about his recovery process and what he went through. He was an E4. I think it was an E4. And they were talking about how expensive things were in the D.C. area. Of course, I, I lived in the area, so I, I kind of knew, at least down at Fort Eustis. And so when I go in to make the video, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak this up a little bit, but uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Band of Brothers, when they talked about, talk to the veterans, you know, the people in the movie at the end. This is the same guy that I'm talking to who made those movies. He was the director sitting there, and I'm sitting there talking to him. If you ever see the video, we'll, I'll, I'll share the link to the VA Make the Connection video. Um I was sitting there just telling my story. That's the first time that I publicly told my story. It was also at that time, I was the only active duty officer to ever publicly speak about mental health and, and issues and, and suicide attempt. Um, and from that video, everything just kind of springboarded. Um, and then I've been doing speaking events ever since. And I think each year it gets a little bit more and more and more. And I, you know, I'm really thankful that I got into contact with Lynn and Lee and did their show when they had their show. Now it's my and Lynn's show. Um, but then that kind of got me introduced to the better talk that guys and, and what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve. And it's amazing what they're doing and, and how it's and helpful. And it allowed me to have the podcast you guys are listening to tonight. And I just want to say I'm appreciative of it. I, I want to thank all of you for, for watching tonight. And, and I hope you learned a little bit. Uh, I think my next podcast, uh, I think I'm going to talk about the boat rescue that happened in 2009. Um, I did receive the soldier's medal for my efforts. I did save three out of the four fishermen, but I'll go into more detail about that on my next one. Uh, it's a really good story. And, uh, you know, it had a profound effect on my son at that time uh, when we went through that. Um, but once again, I want to thank you all for watching my podcast and listen to me talk about what it's like for me to be a mental health warrior. I want each one of you to go out, hunt the good stuff this week. I know there's always something good going on out there. Uh, you know, find that within yourself, find that within your environment and find that at what's going on around you. And, and please take care of yourself. If you'd like, if you're a veteran and you write your own music for the show, I would love to get some other veterans music in here to play uh, during my show at the end of the show. It's a good way to highlight uh, your talents and what you do and how you recover uh, from your PTSD and mental health issues. And with that, I just want to say take care and hey, uh, if you get a chance, go on the Veterans Trash Chart Network. You got the uh, what is it? What is it? The uh, the Stone Vet. That's pretty good podcast. I watch. I watch that. Get a kick out of that. And of course, you got Throat Punch Mondays with me and Lynn. Be sure and catch that. You got my podcast on Tuesday. Uh, you got the, the the NFL and the UFC picks. They do that on Saturdays, and they got the Veterans Trash Talk. I think they do it on Fridays. Uh, Fridays or Saturdays. Fridays, I think. 
and then you have the veterans trash talk on saturday so you know go out there crank up the youtube channel if you do watch it be sure to subscribe and smash that like button because that's why we're able to do what we're doing and uh, take care where do we turn to veteran trash talk where do we turn to veteran trash talk where do we turn to veteran trash talk bravely every morning bad days good days up we rises bad days good days up we rises bad days good days up we rises bravely every morning one day i'm okay next day darkness one day i'm okay next day darkness one day i'm okay Darkness bravely every morning. Bad days, good days, up we rises. Bad days, good days, up we rises. Bad days, good days, up we rises. Bravely every morning. Past is the past, so be forgiven. The past is the past, so be forgiven. The past is the past, so be forgiven. Bravely every Bad days, good days, up we rises. Bad days, good days, up we rises. Bad days, good days, up we rises. Bravely every morning. Let's fight, don't quit, call that in order. Let's fight, don't quit, call that in order. Let's fight, don't quit, call that in order. Bravely every morning. Bad days, good days, up rises bad days good days up we rises bad days good days up we rises bravely every morning raise a glass for those were missing raise a glass for those were missing raise a glass for those were missing bravely every morning bad days good days up we rises bad days good days up Rises. Bad days, good days, up we rises bravely every morning. That's what we do in veteran trash talk. That's what we do in veteran trash talk. That's what we do in veteran trash talk bravely every morning.